What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Grind Podcast. Today, we're going to go back to our roots and talk some mule deer here. We have a special guest, Spencer Brott from Old Mexico Hunting Company. And the dude kills some giant, giant mule deer down in Mexico. And I hunted with Spencer, not this last January, but the January before. And we put down some studs on the ground that week. And, you know, I'm getting a lot of questions on this uh, YouTube video that I went with Spencer on it. I self-filmed it. I'm surprised it's done as well as it's done on YouTube, being a self-filmed. A lot of it was cell phone footage. Obviously, one of your guides, uh, Eric, helped me film the kill shot and whatnot. But, you know, I get so many DMs, emails, all these questions about Mexico. And, you know, I find myself saying the same thing over and over and over to people. I'm like, man, we just need to do a podcast on this and enlighten people and educate people on what Mexico is really like. So, what, what it's really like. So why not bring in the Mexican wizard here? <laughs> well, I don't know if she'd call me that, but I really appreciate you having me out. Yeah, welcome. Mexico is a huge passion for us, has been for a lot of years. And uh, yeah, I think it'd probably be easier for, for your guys just to listen to the podcast and then right. reach out to us with, with any more questions that they have. But right. um, yeah, I'd love to just share some knowledge of what we have with Mexico and what to do, what not to do, what to look for, whoever you're going down to hunt with. And right. would love to have anybody that wants to come home with us. Yeah. So let's debunk the first myth. Okay, ready? Mexico is not safe. That's what people think. It's not true. Right. But, but why do people think that? Well, you've got, I mean, you do have what we call the mafia or the cartel that moves their product, right, through Mexico. And because the news wants to sell eyeballs, the news is always throwing out there the smallest little thing just just to get people to watch the news. So a lot of the things people see are embellished or overstated, I feel like, just, just so they can sell the news. The mafia, from everything we've seen, I mean, we've been down there you know, guiding for, for 10 years and outfitting, and we've never had any problems with them, never any issues with them. Possibly if you're down there doing things you shouldn't, you could run into problems, but we don't, you know, we, yeah. we keep our nose clean. We make sure all our ranches are paid. You know, we're, we're down there to hunt. That's what we're there to do. So people get nervous. A lot of TV shows out there on, on the cartel and all the things people have seen in, in the movies, and they think that the cartel's out to get them. The cartel's out to kidnap them and take their money and, and kill them and leave them for dead in the desert. And we just haven't had any any issues at all yeah. with any sec- security things, any yeah. safety things. So I think the cartel is more focused on all the things they have going on as opposed to badgering and bullying a few hunters and no, want to go I, there and kill mule deer, right? Absolutely. So for them, it's a huge problem if something does happen to an American down in Mexico. I mean, you got you to gotta realize there's thousands and thousands of hunters going to Mexico every year for for turkeys, sheep deer, a couple different deer species, waterfowl, upland game. And anytime something has happened, well, and I, I can't even say that I know of anything that has, but it would be in the news if something was to happen with a hunter and you just don't see it. Right. You, know, you see things in the news, it's always amongst themselves, you know, fighting each other, you right. know, when there is something. It's not that they're out there looking for Americans to shoot. They're, right. they're fighting each other over turf wars or over right. product, whatever, whatever it is. Yeah. And so we just don't have anything to worry about, you know. Yeah. We just make sure we're very safe, you know. We're, all not, we're not out late at night. We're not. Right. And you're on these ranches secluded in the country. It's not like you're in the middle of the city. Exactly. Where there might be, quote unquote, turf wars. I mean, you're on these ranches. You're off the beaten path. Yep. You're rubbing shoulders with cowboys that hardly speak English. I mean... You're, you know, and you're in that lot, lot of fat la- uh, flat land. So I imagine that's not every not every place that your ranches are is even uh, a cartel runway, if you will. I mean, right? Yeah, exactly. You, you know, so I think people don't think about that. I, I think that if you're going down there to hunt, I think it's clear as clear as day that you're a hunter when you show up there. I mean, people are going to leave you alone. Yeah, absolutely. They've always left us alone. You know, the other outfitters I've worked with in the past. Yeah, just. Never had any issues at all. Yeah. So. And we never had to pay police off. We never had to do any of these kind of shady things. So, yeah. I, I, you know, I think these are stories and, and like you said, people embellish them. Well, and on top of that, unfortunately, in any any sort of industry, you know, you've got good and bad, right? And right. You've got some outfitters, unfortunately, that don't do things right, you know, right. with gun permits, don't have good contracts with their ranches, right? possibly even hunting ranches they're not supposed to be on. And so then when... 
you know, things are found out, then the hunter gets the brunt of that. If their gun permit isn't done right, if they don't have tags, if they're hunting ranch they're not supposed to be on and get caught by the landowner, you know. So, and a lot of times the hunter doesn't really know what's going on because he doesn't speak Spanish, right? you know, and the outfitter kind of tells them whatever, you know. There's there's some smaller outfits down there that I think, unfortunately, are just more in it just to make the money and not sure. necessarily maybe even, you know, big hunters. I don't want to talk bad about about anybody else everybody's just trying to make a living right but right but there's a lot of horror stories from that you right. know and when i've done some digging i've found out it's been things like gun permits not done properly and paperwork for their animals not done properly for them to bring back we just don't have issues with that you know we've got a lawyer that's also our partner down there that uh makes sure all our gun permits are done correctly that all of our uh, tags and everything are ready to go all our contracts are done on our ranches right. so that we're not just going to have those hiccups. Right. No, I think that's a big deal that you have a partner who is a Mexican citizen yeah. who is, in fact, a lawyer. Right. Like, that's we, a big deal. Well, it, and, and you have to, to be working down there. You have to be working with a licensed outfitter in Mexico to actually outfit down there. So we have a partner that has yeah. that, that license so that everything's, you know, 100%. Right. To go back to kind of what you said you got to find the right person to go with the Correct. right person, the right outfitter. Yep. And that was kind of one of our conversations. Cause I went down there twice before I'd kind of contacted you. And I kind of talked to you for a few years before I even pulled the trigger because I had such shady experiences going back. So this was my third trip down to Mexico. And this was the first time that I actually killed was with you. Gotcha. And so I went down to Mexico three times, didn't kill. And I had similar experience was lied to, it was just kind of a shady experience. And I think that makes the biggest difference is having an outfitter who has crossed his T's and dotted his I's. And some of the issues you can run into right off the bat is crossing the border with the gun permits. Yep. If you don't have all your paperwork done in advance and it's not done correctly, double checked, you're going to have problems with your gun right off the bat. And I think that that could be a headache right off the get-go, a.k.a. not a good experience for your client. Exactly. Right off the bat. And so what do they go do? They go and say, oh, Mexico's a joke. Well, all of Mexico must be a joke because I didn't get my paperwork done right. No, that's not exactly true. There's a lot of great outfitters down there that do it right. You just got to make sure that the outfit you're going with does all the paperwork 100%. And that's your biggest thing. Gun permits and your tags and right. your capes ready to go when you go home and all that. There's not ticks in the cape. Right. You know, all of that. Yeah. So things don't get confiscated. We can touch on we can touch some on of that, that later. End, yeah. 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 So, okay. So let's talk about the mule deer hunting. We talked about, you know, going with the trusted outfitter. You know, you've saved your money in some cases for years to go down and save for this dream trip. I think a lot of people think I'm going down to Mexico because I'm going to kill a 200 inch to 240 inch buck. Correct. That's what they think. Yep. Is that reality? So it's not. It's not, unfortunately. It doesn't matter who you go with, unless you want to go down and hunt a high fence down there. Then it is reality there, but obviously a lot more money. Everything we do is is free range for mule deer, 100%. We didn't want the confusion with clients wondering when we post pictures, whatever, on social media, clients wondering, well, did that deer come from a high fence or did that deer come from free range? So we only do smart. free range with mule deer. Yeah, the joke we have in Mexico is that there's a 200-inch deer behind every cactus, right? Because, unfortunately, we get a lot of clients coming down that have that idea. Or when they call me up, they have that idea that, that they're going to come kill a 200-inch deer. Granted, I feel like for the money that you pay to go hunt Mexico, there's nowhere else in the world where you have a better opportunity to kill a 200-inch mule deer. The majority of the 200-inch mule deer that we do kill are than that 200 to 210 range you know mexico mostly has that big typical genetic so Man. it's hard to get a lot higher that than that score wise which it does happen and there's some big non-typicals that do come from there as well but uh the majority are big typical frames which you know a 205 to 210 inch typical you know there's a That's giant unreal. you know maybe has a couple little extras so kind of like mine yeah, exactly. I think mine was brushing that one cent, one ninety seven. A little bit longer on the eye guards, or, or just one a little longer on the one. Short. Yeah, 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 you know. You remember one. then you two hundred inch typical. So, as far as big frame deer, I mean, it doesn't get any better. You know? and they're there, you know. And I've got some guys that have just about every year with me killed a two hundred inch deer. Isn't that uh, nuts? And other guys that just struggle more, you know, because it's hunting and it's all free range. We don't try and give any preference to anybody. Right. That's what I liked about you. I'm like, hey, Spencer, how, how do, what about the guy that's been going with you for 10 years and one that stays with you and goes with you 
every 10 years. How do you treat him the same? And this is what I love most about Spencer. He's, Spencer said, I don't care how much money you make or how often you're coming with me. You're all going to get treated the same, and you're all going to have the same opportunity. And I'm like, bingo. Yeah. This is and my that, guy. Yeah, that's what we try so hard. You know, and talk about one of my clients, Richard Pilgrim. Great guy. Loves mule deer. Obsessed with mule deer like a lot of us. And, you know, he killed a 200-inch deer with me. One year he killed a 200-inch deer and a, and a high 190s typical. And he's a blue-collar guy, but he always comes down, always gets it done. He's killed some slams. Yeah, and he's a blue-collar guy. He saves all year long to have this one great mule deer hunt in Mexico. And he's done he's done awesome down there. And then you look at guys like Sean Hayward that hunts with us every year. Sean does very well business-wise, and he's also killed a lot of big deer with us. You know, the number one thing I feel like is just keeping your head in the game down there and, That's the and staying thing, positive. Huh? There's days that you don't. It, depending on the ranch, right? There's days you might not see a buck. Exactly. And that's hard, yep. toting around on that all day long, beating yourself up. The smaller your back hurts, yep. riding around on the high rack, which there's two methods of hunting. There's high rack or you can, you know, hike to a vantage point, yep. glass, glass, glass. But we did both. I kind of like to hike and glass. Yeah. Personally. Absolutely. Let my eyes do the work. But yeah, you, you got to keep your head in the game because you'll come back to camp. You'll talk to other hunters who are in camp with you, which is typically two to four hunters. Yep. And they're going to tell you about their experience and they're going to say, oh man, we saw this buck and that buck and gosh, I just passed this 190 buck because I'm just trying to kill a 200 incher and, and you're the guy that's been in camp for four days and hasn't seen crap. Yeah. And you're depressed and you're mad because you got the crappy ranch. Yeah. And Which isn't the case. It's, it's not. It's not. And you know, every ranch down there is a little bit different on, you know, deer numbers and all of that. But we've killed big deer on every one of our ranches, you know, and continue to find big deer on new ranches. You know, we're constantly picking up new ranches and we let some go that aren't quite producing what we want, you know. And back to the 200-inch thing, you know, it's, it's you know, really Mexico's a 180-plus hunt. You know, that's what I tell everybody. Yes, there's a great chance that you could kill a 200-inch deer, but... I just can't guarantee that. So it's a 180 plus. I'm going to do everything we can so that everybody kills a 200 inch deer. But at the end of the day, you're dealing with the rut. You're dealing with these deer that are very programmed to be nocturnal because so much of the year is so hot down there. They're very nocturnal animals and, and move a lot at night. So you're just, you're dealing with, with all of that and the elements and, and the rut and the deer move. You know, you got a deer you've been patterning all year on your ranch and then mid-December and the ruts start they start getting pre-ready and all of a sudden that deer disappears off your ranch and moves 10-15 miles somewhere else to go rut yeah we killed one this year that we had pictures of a 206 buck Uh, we had pictures of him all all summer fall and then uh, we went to hunt him and he disappeared right before we went to hunt him and then we ended up killing him late January just randomly, one of our hunters high racking, killed him eight miles away. It was probably closer to 10 miles, at least eight miles away. That's From insane. the ranch that he was on, on a, on a neighboring ranch, you know, and, and they, you know, it just, I mean, they do that here too, you know, yeah. just they, they move around and, and the deer spread out a lot and stuff down there. They move around a lot. So, you know, number one thing is just hunting hard and knowing too that, that Mexico is not, as much as I would like it to be, it's not a slam dunk for a, even a 190 deer. And a lot of my guys that have come down consistently, everybody that's come down consistently has has taken home several great deer, 190, 200-inch yep. deer. And they keep coming back and they exactly. keep working hard. Yep. And they might have years that they don't kill the big animal. Yeah, absolutely. But I think you've got to stay consistent like anything with life, especially hunting. Stay at it. Keep coming down. And not that Spencer wants to just take your money every year. He does, but you got to stay with it. You can't expect to go to Mexico one time and kill a giant and call it good. Yeah. You might have to put in a few trips to kill that buck that you want. You might get lucky on the first hour of the first day. Yeah, exactly. I mean, look at look at uh, the guys from Lone Peak Arms that came down with us this year. You know, first time hunting with us and uh, came down, trusted us. You know, thanks to you, you put in a good word for us and... And Brian killed an absolute giant first giant. day, you know, 210 inch typical, just over 210. And then his his buddy was getting a little frustrated because he was taking him a few oh, yeah. days. He was the one coming back yeah. to camp. Mike, like, why am I not seeing this yeah. stuff? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then then Mike ends up killing. Well, he killed he killed a, like a 190 buck with some stack cheaters on him, and then uh, kept hunting for a second deer, which is a great thing about Mexico. You can buy a couple tags and hunt for for a couple deer if you want, and. Uh, he ended up killing a giant 200-inch typical, too, 
last day or second to last day yep. you know so so it's just that hunting hard and and uh unfortunately not everybody's going to go home with a giant but they're there and i've seen more 200 inch deer there than, probably than anywhere else anywhere. you yep. know really unless you're on one of the primo units and spending tons of money or get really lucky with a phenomenal tag you know but mexico for me it's a place for big mules mule deer still you know so much country down there so much ground for them to get lost in there's just plenty of deer that slip through the tr- cracks and the great thing about our whole area where we're hunting and all our ranches is you know the only deer that are getting being killed there are trophy deer you know good old mature deer yeah so your younger deer are all getting the chance to, to grow, grow up, up you know yeah. Me- mexico doesn't have the numbers you know that we see in most of our western states from yellow deer but the genetics and then the age class that they're able to get to are what put on the big antlers down there. What do you think it is? Water? Not having water and feed? Because you look around and, and obviously they eat that choya fruit, right? Yeah. So it's it's a number of things. I mean, number one is genetic, which is the most important thing that they have good genetics. Number two, they don't have hard winters. You know, so much of antler growth comes from nutrients build up in the bones throughout the year. And so if they have a hard winter up here, they use a lot of that nutrient they have built up uh, to, to make their antlers. And uh, down there, they don't have bad winters. You know, they rut super hard. They get really skinny. Oh, yeah. But then they're able to go back and, and feed heavy and have good feed, you know, to start so recovering well, on the nutrients. Exactly. You do get some broke bucks from time to time. Oh, absolutely. Because yep. it's yep. dry. And they, I think and they that... fight hard. Those deer fight hard. And, and if we have a, a fall that chills, like this, this last fall, we had a lot of broken deer just because it was a really dry fall going into hunting season. The antlers were just more brittle. They grew well. We had great horn growth, um, but but a lot of broken deer this this last year. And that changes year to year. The year bef- the couple of years before that, didn't have too much of a problem with broken deer, a few here or there, but, but not bad. And that kind of changes throughout Sonora because um, you'll get different heavier rainfall areas throughout Sonora, just depending on where you're at there. You know, some ranches won't break up as bad as others, but... Gotcha. And then, yeah, I mean, genetics and then the light winners are your two number one things with horn growth. And then that they're able to get the age class that they right. need. Most of the deer we kill are easily six years old plus, And we kill deer that are nine, 10 years old and probably older. Yeah. Some of them. That's awesome. What you about know, predators? Do they hammer them pretty hard down there? I feel like there's yeah. a lot of coyotes. Yeah. The coyotes get to them really good. They a, don't lot recreationally of coy- a lot of coyotes down there. Kill coyotes down there. Like we do up there. They here. don't. They don't. You, there's a few ranches that uh, we can get to do some poisoning and stuff, but you know, there's so many neighboring ranches they're coming off of, and nobody really goes out and hunts them at all down there, other than us when we're down there hunting. You know, and our clients will try and do some predator control. But you got coyotes, you got bobcats, you got mountain lions um, that all take their toll on the deer. And I feel like the coyotes hit them hard, you know, in the spring when they're fawning, you know, early summer when they're fawning. So, so they, you know, you don't see a lot of fawns down there. You'll, you'll see these groups of does and, you know. Kind of sad. Yeah, it is. It is. You know, it'd be interesting to see what would happen if there was less, less predators, you know, on the deer right. numbers coming up. But also they don't have a ton of feed down there, you know. Yeah, they don't. They really don't. Yeah. They're, they, you know, they're, they're browsing a lot on the, on the different trees down there. And they eat the choya a lot, like you talked about, and, and uh, some of the other cactuses and the fruits that grow on the cactuses, you know. So they, they would have more than you'd think at times, but the summer times get so hot down there, temperatures into the hundreds, it just gets so hot and dries everything out. So we rely on a good, good heavy rainfall and the monsoons that come in late summer to kind of help green everything back up. Yeah, it's it's tough. Deer densities are low. There's there's not a ton of feed there. There's tons of places for them to hide. Obviously, you're hunting mule deer in the low country versus the mountains. Correct. Uh, that's kind of challenging because you have limited visibility, even in some of those high racks. Sometimes that brush can be really high. Yep. Talk about how it's like the opposite of yeah, hunting so, mule deer here. It's like they're not in the hills in the mountains where you would think. They're in the flats. Yep. Why is that? The majority of the feed of what they're feeding on is down in the flats. Most of the hills there are very rocky, sharp, jagged rocks. So I feel like they just don't like it as much in those hills as well. They will push up into there, especially during the rut. Does trying to escape some of the pressure of the bucks are putting on them as well as bucks trying to push them back into areas where, 
you know, they can have them to themselves. But most of their feed that they're getting browsing off of the trees, the brush, the cactuses are, are more out in the flats. So that's that's where they're at, where their feed is at. So hunting these deer down there, it's not like you're at the base of the mountain glassing up on the mountain and up on the hills. For the most part, you're up on the mountain or up on a, any high point you can get to glassing the flats, glassing the big choya patches and the areas these deer frequent and just spending a lot of time behind the glass. That's our favorite well, way to find big deer. Well, they, they get wise to the sound of vehicles and high racks and all of that and, and uh we kill we kill big deer both glassing and high racks but would prefer to get up on hills and glass as much as possible yeah. there's just some areas you cannot glass there's, there's nothing around to get up on and glass right so, so we'll uh get down in high racks some you know if we have to right you know we put out uh, some feed and water sources for them to help them through the the hot summers and all of that so we can hunt help, the areas around yeah, that keep too. them around and, mm-hmm. and, and and a lot of the most of the ranches down there anymore doing that you know adding some food and water sources for the deer which is great for all the wildlife down there and then uh helps keep your deer kind of concentrated onto your ranches we can put trail cameras on those mm-hmm. feed and water sources to know what we've got have an idea but there's right. always giants that show up that we've never seen before had no right. idea existed that come from a neighboring ranch or right. or i feel like there's some deer that just don't touch the food and water sources we put out there you know they're right. drinking out of the cattle ponds and stuff like that and only eating natural browse just some of those deer are real smart and just don't want to be around anything that has to do with humans i feel like so yeah it's they're, they're cagey suckers too there are then you get some that are you know real patternable to food and water sources so it's 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 awesome hunting them that way you know i i prefer to hunt an animal that i've got to work hard for the reward seems so much greater so when you connect on a on a giant deer in mexico you know it's just awesome and it, Great thing about those deer is they got such big frames, you know. I mean, yes, even when so some awesome. don't score two hundred, you know, you've got giant three by threes or three by fours or big three by three frame with trash, you know. That Which kind you of thing. killed so, one of those giant threes. Yeah. Yep. Talk about I, that guy. I love quick. I love big threes. So I've taken a couple of them, three big threes down there that that uh, clients didn't want to take. You know, so if there's a deer a client doesn't want then uh, oftentimes I'll hunt them because I like trying to get a deer for myself every year if I can. So my very first one was just a big slick 3 by 3 in the high 170s as a 3 by 3 One of my favorite all-time deer, just awesome, big, tall, mm-hmm. three-point. And then I killed one a couple years ago. He's got a couple extras on him, but he's pushing 200. I mean, he's not quite there. He's high, oh, high 190s. Didn't you just get he's, that back from the taxidermist? Awesome. I did, yep. Yeah. yeah, yeah, 34 wide and got a cheater. He's got split beams in front. Just just a neat deer. Just a stud. Yep. That, thing's, that thing's what dreams are made of. But you'll have hunters turn their noses up at three points sometimes. Yeah, in just fact, that they're... one, I had a hunter pass him two days in a row. We looked at him, and he had already shot his two deer, and he was, he was hunting with a third tag in case we found a mega, mega buck, you know, something. He'd killed a, you know, a 190s and a, and a low 200s buck, and... We saw this deer, and I figured he was going to be high 180s, maybe 190, but he was 34 wide, and I was excited about him, but he, he's like, ah, let's let him go. And he passed him a couple of times, but he kept egging me on to kill him, <laughs> and then it was almost end of our season, and finally I'm like, you know what? He's 34 wide, and I don't have a deer that wide. Cool buck, so I, I took him, and when we walked up on him, my hunter was visibly upset. I mean, he's like, why did I kill this deer? Yeah, yeah, it was Richard Pilgrim. And uh, <laughs> Richard, great, you made great a guy. And he was super pumped for me. But, uh, but yeah, he's just like, oh, I should have killed that deer, you know. And and uh, just, a, just a cool deer, super old deer. And the teeth were all, I mean, front teeth were worn down into really? the gums. Back molars were worn down into the gums. That's a trophy right there. I don't there. think he would have made it, you know, much longer. He was real skinny. Big old Roman nose on them. Just, just, yeah. I love it when just they get ancient and old like that. In fact, we should make that the thumbnail of this podcast. Yeah, that that'd be cool. That'd yeah. be cool. Yeah, that's awesome, man. Yeah, that's what I tell people. I'm like, hey, listen, it's not a slam dunk. You got to make sure you're going with your right, the right outfitter so they'll take care of you so there's no funny business. And you got to grind. You have to grind. And I think about if I wouldn't have grinded as hard as I did until the last minute, I maybe don't get any of those bucks. Yeah. Because my, my hunt was pretty tough. Yep. And on, on the second buck I shot, I had one tiny window. One tiny window at 850 yards. And I had spent two hours clearing this spot so that I had a shooting lane. 
and he was rutting does. I don't know if you remember the story, Spencer, but he was rutting does, and I needed him to pass back yep. through this little opening. And he he came back he came back through rutting a doe. I sent it. I missed. I sent it again and smacked him. Yeah. And if I wouldn't have been ready behind my gun, we were there for hours, and that's hard to do mentally, right? Absolutely. That's hard to do. And if you don't keep your head in the game, when if you do get a chance, you may just screw it up because you're pouting or have a bad attitude. Yep. And you've had guys miss big bucks at a 50 yards, 100 yards, 200 yards, not necessarily because they're pouting, but because they weren't ready. Right. Weren't ready. And obviously big bucks get get to guys too, right? Sure. But in any hunt, no matter where you're hunting, you start to doubt yourself and think it's not going to happen and and you quit i feel like you just quit hunting as hard you quit looking as hard you know guys get on their phones and start scrolling through their phones and you kind of lose lose motivation you know and you could come down and it happens very first morning and you kill a giant very first morning or you may grind to the very end and it take you know to the last day to kill that giant and unfortunately there are a few guys that that don't end up killing a deer usually that's because they're passing deer and they want that solid 200 plus or at least that 190 plus. Yeah. But being just 100% realistic, not, not everybody goes home with a deer. But we're, you know, we're typically 80 to 90% success rate on our hunts down there with mule deer. I and feel like that's pretty good. Yeah, it's yeah. great, especially especially for Mexico. Yeah. All right, guys, going to keep beating this dead horse. Base map, base map, base map. Save yourself 20% off by going to basemap.com forward slash muleyfreak and gain access to 800 plus layers, live location sharing, hunt wind. Hunt wind is a game changer, even for guys out west. Predictive wind forecast, so you know which canyons and draws to hunt, when to approach them, how to approach them, and then 3D maps. And if you're currently invested in another software, transfer your waypoints, transfer your tracks, transfer all your records over. It's super easy. Basemap.com forward slash Muley Freak. I just love the culture, honestly, and, and having served a mission in Sweden, and traveling as much as I've done and traveling hunting now, Kyrgyzstan, Mexico, I just think the culture's awesome. Absolutely. I, I think the food is unreal. Mm-hmm. You go home every night just with these, I don't know, man, the food's freaking good. Yeah, we all gain 20 pounds, it feels yeah. like, down there over the season. I'm working on shedding it all off right now so I can be ready for hunting season again. But but that's what, you know, that was kind of number one thing that made me fall in love with Mexico. You know, as, Gosh, as a teenager, awesome. we started going to Mexico, volunteering in orphanages and working in orphanages down there on the Baja. Oh, that's cool. And then uh, I managed a big uh, landscape project for the Tijuana Temple and landscaped the Tijuana Temple and, and was cool. around people for eight months down there doing that and then started doing the guiding down there and then now eventually outfitting down there. And the people are so great, so humble. They love having you down there. You know, it's a huge source of income for them. So it's a, a great boost to their economy to have all these hunters come down and hunt. Um, the meat, you can take the meat home with you, but typically hunters donate that to the locals there and they live off of that meat all year and they love it. So it's just great that way. And like you said, the food, you know, we've got cooks there in camp that do a great job making homemade Mexican dishes. You know, you cannot beat carne asada from mexico i haven't had it anywhere else it's as good as mexico i've tried my hardest to replicate it here and you just don't the sonora beef is amazing and cooking it over fresh mesquite coals is is just unbelievable fresh homemade tortillas made right there in camp oh my gosh it's so good and everybody's down there to kill big deer right is is the main reason but that just adds but you fall in love with the the culture i mean yeah. yeah it adds to the whole experience you fall in love with it me i like food I don't know. There's just something. There's just something special yep. about old Mexico. And then you add big bucks and hunting on top of it with good people. And you, you'll it's make awesome. you'll make friends for a lifetime. You know your yeah. guide down there. Your your uh, you know your your driver that's driving around your your high rack truck. The cooks. You know a lot of my hunters are lifetime friends with all those people and just love them because they treat right. them so well and they're so happy to have them down there and you know can make a little bit of a living. Killing big deer is just the it's the cherry on top, right? Exactly. Exactly. That's cool. So let's talk about getting the deer back. Yeah, for sure. So you try to boil their heads real quick. I know we kind of had, we were trying to catch a flight. I missed like three flights (laughs) because I shot that big buck on the second or the the last last day. day. Yeah. I'm trying to get it ready. Yeah. So, so no meat on it. Well, if you're going across the border. Let's, yeah. let's just talk about both scenarios. If you're flying or driving, let's start with if you're flying. they're, They're both the same. So if you're flying or driving, you just can't have any meat on the head. So if there's time and we usually can make it work even if you shoot one the very last day we can do a a quick euro 
for you. You got to got to boil the skull quick and then clean all the you know the the meat off of it. Get all the brains out. All of that. It's got to be a clean skull going through. Or we can we can skull cap it. And That's just, the easiest thing. You know, to do. easiest thing, quickest way to do it. So it's kind of just whatever the hunter wants. We'll do, we'll do either way. So that's got to be clean. You've got to have a tag on the antlers that's signed by the hunter and then there's some other paperwork that goes along with that paperwork that's for the ranch that you killed the deer on and then also paperwork that they require at customs when you're going across declaring what wildlife you have so all that paperwork has to be filled out signed properly got to have your hunting contract with you with the outfitter all those things they ask to see they take copies of when you cross back across the border and then the cape we clean really well we get the bulk of you know make sure there's there's not any real meat left on the cape it's cleaned real well and then we go through it meticulously for ticks if they find one tick on the cape they'll confiscate the cape so we go through it extremely carefully once in a great while i mean think i can only think of two capes in our history that we've lost that that uh, somehow a, a tick got through but we go through so carefully and if for some reason somebody did lose a cape would make sure they they were able to get another one gotcha so what is it with the ticks why don't they like those uh it's just just part of what fishing game require they don't want those brought into the u.s because they can carry diseases where they're full of blood they can carry diseases it's an odd one to us because there's plenty of wildlife that's crossing the border every day probably carrying ticks whether it's birds or other mammals going back and forth but i think it's more you know who knows what animals are coming from way down deep in mexico have the same regulation so it's just anywhere across the border you know you're crossing with wildlife it's got to be free of ticks or any sort of insects on it so they just confiscate it if they do find one they also require that that cape's been frozen and then thawed back out before it's brought across the border so we freeze it beforehand and then then uh thawed out basically on your way to the airport or on your way to the border it's thawing so you can cross the border right and they can open it up and look at it look at it inspect it you know lightly salt it just a little bit most taxidermists don't want much salt on it dries them out too much okay lightly salt it and then uh they take it with them you know there is the option if a hunter doesn't want to do that for a fee then we can have a uh, taxidermist there in Hamilton so you'll prep the cape and the antlers and have them shipped back to the hunter it not just, many people do that though not do many the easiest way and so you don't have to wait to get your trophy back is take it with you uh for mule there now sheep's a different thing because of the CITES permit and that that's usually being shipped back to the hunter with the 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 CITES paperwork in the pin in the horn but uh, mule deer almost everybody takes their mule deer and coos deer back with them nice so you do a little bit of coos deer too we do yeah we do a little bit our main focus is is mule deer but we do a few coos hunters every year and then some of our guys you know tag out early want to go hunt a coos deer some guys will do a mule deer coos combo um, okay. stay for a little bit longer to, to get both so we we killed a coos this year that was 134 yeah, inch typical tank. just yeah giant eight point so there's there's some giant giant coos down there that's um, awesome it's it's fun yeah that's fun so let's talk about physical condition yeah i mean what's a guy you probably accommodate any type of hunter right that's the great thing about mexico is really any type of person can come down and hunt uh whether you're in pristine shape or or overweight or or young or elderly you know there's hunting for everyone down there you know if you're in great shape then we can hike up on the mountains and glass no problem and get up high and pick the desert floor apart and find find big deer that way and then you know if you're not and or you would just rather have a more easy going hunt then you can you can high rack and we kill plenty of giant deer out of the high rack too you know the deer those big bucks especially during the rut they're pushing the does around you know getting them up and down out of their bed and chasing the hot does around and fighting each other so they're more active during the day during the rut so you catch them out in those big flats high racking around you know for those people that don't know a high rack is is a tower that we have installed in the back of a truck that gets you up you know 10 feet or so off of the desert floor so you can see over the brush you know the, right. a lot of the trees brush down there you know or anywhere from a few feet to 10 15 feet oh, yeah. so it gets you up there so you can kind of see over that canopy and see out 100 to 500 yards depending on how dense the brush is so it's a great tool down there to be able to to cover a lot of that country that otherwise wouldn't have a great way to to hunt sure and every ranch is a little different as far as brush and yep. all terrain kind of and all that and some really beautiful places too yeah like absolutely. some absolutely gorgeous 
places. Yeah. When you, when you have a cold, crisp morning, a little bit of dew on the, the plants down there and maybe even some fog, you know, light fog in the morning, it's, it's pretty magical place to oh, be yeah. out there hunting. It really those is. Which you talked about the morning, which can be cold. It can be. Yeah. It though, can be frigid. I tell everybody just to come down plenty of layers so that they can take on and off stuff as, as they need to. But you're going to get sunburnt four hours later. Yeah, exactly. It'll, you know, it'll start out coldest usually is, is thirties, but usually you're more like forties in the mornings and then you can jump up to 70, 80 midday, occasionally nineties midday. And so you want to have plenty of layers and jump in and out of layers as, as the day warms up or in the evening, it starts to get cold again. Yeah, absolutely. It can be, it can be a little brisk there in the morning, especially if you're in the high rack, uh, the little wind yep, and exactly. you're holding that metal. Yeah. Holding your high rack bars. Yeah. The holding your high rack bars. So good, lo- good pair of gloves is always essential. Yep. And good beanie. Yep. Good beanie. Losing some heat through the, through those bars. will give you a little chill real quick. So let's yeah. talk about shooting. Okay. What type of, uh, shot distances can someone expect i mean obviously there's high rack mm-hmm. there's uh getting to a high point and, and glassing we'll call that spot and stock i guess but typical shots out of a high rack i mean you know number one is we don't want anybody taking a shot they're not comfortable with um and don't feel that's proficient fair. at you know we don't want to wound animals there's a wound loss policy so you word an animal that's your animal um and hopefully you can recover it or find it so we want guys to take the best shots they can so you know, making sure their guns sighted in and ready to go before the hunt. And then uh, as you're out there high racking, you know, shots are between 100, 200 yards. You know, I don't really like to shoot out much further than that off of off of a high rack because of the movement up there and we want shots, good shots. So if it's further than that, usually we're getting out of the high rack and putting a stock on the animal and trying to get in closer on the animal or get prone, you know, where you can and, and make a shot if you can see them through the brush. Now, if you're up on a hill, you could have a longer shot, and we're okay with guys taking longer shots as long as they're good, you know, like like you that, that can shoot long range. Just got to make sure guys are capable of doing it. Right. So we just try, and, you know, each hunter's a little different in what they're capable of. We have hunters that come from all over the United States and a few that, that come from Mexico, come from all sorts of different backgrounds, whether they're, you know, back east whitetail hunters and haven't shot distance or they're they're western hunters that have shot some distance so it kind of just depends on the hunter and making sure it's inside their capability so it's accurate to say there's probably a situation for any type of hunter yeah absolutely yeah guys that get up on a hill and shoot out there 500 to a thousand yards and then guys that are just shooting close you know we've we've killed deer at 40 50 yards so all right guys you got to check out the all-new snap release bow cover Never before have we had a bow cover like this. It's easy on, easy off. 1000D Cordura over the cams. Fits almost all bows that we've tried it out on, different lengths. Give it a try. It's DWR water resistant. I used it on a recent coos deer hunt, and it absolutely just shed the water off. Keep your strings, cams, cables, and everything dust-free, water-free, so when that moment of truth comes, you know that it's you that made the mistake, or not. So check it out. Talk about that feeling when you get a buck on the ground that you've been patterning <laughs> slash keeping tabs on for three, four, five years. What's yeah, that, it's, what's that it's, like? It's, uh, I mean, in some ways it's bittersweet, you know, and there's those deer that, that we've been watching grow up or deer we've been after for a lot of years. There's a couple down there we're still after that are absolute giants that we just haven't been able to catch up to or we've seen briefly you know haven't been able to get a shot out so so it's always for me it's always you know i mean it's a it's a big relief in a lot of ways and a lot of excitement to take it just one of those very special animals that has a lot of antler on their head and is old and mature but also, you know, then suddenly that animal's not there anymore. I know, know. it's you like, know? Dang so, it. And that's what I mean by, by bittersweet. You know, it's, it's great just to have that opportunity to, to chase them. And there's always going to be another one, yeah. you know, because we, we allow our animals to grow up and reach their full potential. So we're not over harvesting and not harvesting too young of deer. Right. But, I mean, for, for especially us mule deer fanatics, you know, there's no better feeling in the world just about than being able to catch up with a 
giant that you've patterned that you've been hunting for years you know and as a guide it's funny sometimes you bring a hunter down that maybe it's his first mule deer even and he ends up killing one of these deer that we've been after for years and some of them are just like oh cool you know is he a good one you know and you're like oh <laughs> that's my the, gosh that's the guys that get the biggest ones yeah oftentimes it is it is you know it's just there's a lot of luck involved and and uh obviously the skill of all my guides that just work so hard to, to make it happen oh man i can't imagine being a guide There'd be a lot of stress in being a guide. There is. Especially if you're having a slow week. And you got this hunter who spent all this money, and maybe it's a first-time hunter, which is even worse. It'd be better if a guy's having a slow week that's been with you three, four times, even one or two times. But you get a guy, first time, it's slow, and, man, I can't imagine the stress that would kind of go into that. Yeah. You know Every guide's a little bit different. It depends on how long guys have been guiding, too. You know, a lot of us almost like it 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 adds a fun element to it of pushing us even harder when the, you know it gets down to the wire and then you finally do produce what your clients after oh, man. you know the last couple of days and they're just as happy as can be oh, yeah. they just killed their dream animal and uh i feel like i've always done better under pressure than when it's kind of seems like it's going to be easy hunt you know yeah. and i know i got to work hard for it that's you know and i feel like a lot of my guys that's when they do their very best you know yeah, that, that part that's is what we guys. live for is when we've worked so hard for something and gets down to the wire and then you take take a giant right don't get me wrong we'll take it first day too you know oh, I mean, yeah we work you know we all work so hard for these animals you know anytime you get a catch up to a, a huge deer is is yeah. great no matter how it happens yeah so. the level of effort spencer that i've seen and known spencer over the last two three years now you know, hey, you know, calling him in De- December, November, right before Thanksgiving. Hey, Spencer, what are you doing? Oh, man, I'm taking the trailer full of beds and linens and all this <laughs> stuff down to Mexico. I'm like, oh, man, that's a lot of work. People don't realize the amount of work behind the scenes. Sometimes people look at a dollar figure like, well, I'm not paying that for a yeah, meal there. Yep. It's like, whoa, he spent months and months and months of prep and, and has hired people down there full time. And he's hauling tra- leaving his family and hauling trailer loads full of gear. Uh, to get ready for the season, to make sure everyone's ex- successful and has a good experience. You know, I was watching Jim Shockey last night, and he's like, this much, and I'm, I'm holding my hand up right now and showing a very small space between my index finger and my thumb. He said, this month, this much is ac- about the actual kill. This is, a, this is a services industry. Yeah, it is. And that's really what you're doing. You're, you're providing a service for folks, a good experience that hopefully ends with a kill. Yeah, and that's a, that's a lot of thing with, with hunters. You know, they'll call me and... And we'll talk about pricing and all that. I'm like, man, that just seems like a lot of money to not be guaranteed a 200-inch deer. And uh, and it doesn't matter where you're hunting. You know, right. you, nobody can guarantee you a 200-inch deer unless you're hunting something in a, in a high fence, really. But, you know, guys guys get flustered a little bit sometimes by the price, but they don't, they don't realize. Well, and stepping back, I think it's too because, you know, a lot of places you can go vacation in Mexico, whether it's Cabo or wherever, you know, it's it's kind of more inexpensive to to vacation in those areas you know if you're going to play on the beach and all that versus going to hawaii or something mexico's usually cheaper so i think people just have it in their head like oh why is it so expensive to go hunt in mexico you know it should be cheap and uh a lot of effort goes into there's a lot so of people. much i mean we're hunting these ranches that have simple ranch houses usually don't have much for beds bedding you know cooking refrigerators freezers coolers all that so we're taking a tremendous amount of gear down our trucks take an absolute beating oh man you know, we, have, we have our own fleet of trucks that we take down because you know i don't want my guides bringing their own vehicles down there and beating them to crap and you know it's just hard for guys my guides to bring their own vehicles unless down you're eric. for how yeah unless you're eric um eric does bring his own his own truck down and uh you know, and guides are welcome to if they want to, but we bring a fleet of trucks down, and there's so many repairs that we have to do on those trucks. Oh, man. We take down good working trucks with low miles, you know, and we're we're selling those trucks and buying new trucks every every couple of years because um, they take such a beating. I mean, everything's dirt roads and washboards and all of that, getting out to the ranches. Um, Dry beds, river beds, yeah, exactly. Rockies. Yeah, you get a monsoon that comes through and does big washouts to the roads and having to you know fix the road again going through all the dust that gets in sand that gets in everything so just there's a lot of expense that way as well as each hunter has a guide a driver we got a couple cooks in camp you know we try and pay our guys well we want it to be worth their time to come and and hunt with us and guide with us and be drivers for us and all of that and and so 
yeah, just a lot of expense goes into it. You right. know, our, our take off the top is very minimal, but we love hunting big mule deer. That time of year is great for us because we're, we're all contractors and, and landscapers and, and uh, kind of our work gets shut down in Utah. So it allows us to go make a little bit of money, but especially for us to be able to go hunt big mule deer in mexico and big sheep and coos deer so yeah that part makes it makes it worth it no that's awesome you guys work your little tails off i have appreciate a deep appreciation for all the hard work you guys put in as guides and outfitters and i appreciate um, that obviously your operation too you you take great pride in in patterning these deer and and locking up good ranches that are gonna hold quality deer for your hunters who are making this investment on your guys's end and um you know i sent mike and brian of lone peak arms there they killed two giants they're already rebooked heading back again yep and uh uh, hopefully i'll be able to make it this year god willing i don't have another kid yeah you gotta stop popping babies out i gotta stop four (laughs) four fours and fours and i don't know you got some pretty cute kids so i think you're doing it right they're a lot of fun but um yeah anything else you wanted to touch on and like i just want i want this podcast just to be a learning resource for folks so they really know what it's like so that when they come to uri with questions they can obviously turn to this podcast and learn, but I feel like we talked about getting there, going with a trusted outfit, what to expect as far as the experience. Like you could have an easy hunt. You could, you could kill in the first hour of the first day, but expect a grind, low deer densities, work your butt off, be ready, always be ready and keep a good attitude because you could have some really slow days that you might not see jack crap for deer yep. and just be ready for that. Knowing that a monster could come out at any time. Because yep. that, that's Mexico. You could literally have a monster come out at any time. Absolutely. And, you know, I, th- I think another important thing to touch on is, you know, what everybody sees on social media, you know, isn't always, you know, reality. I mean, right. you're, you're always seeing the very best of, of what's being taken, right? But I, what I'm especially talking about is, is the high fence operations. Now, I don't have anything against those, and I think they have their place, obviously. And, you know, I've hunted high fences myself. I killed a giant high fence whitetail. It's probably my very favorite animal I've ever been able to hunt, and it's it's a high fence whitetail, a 290-inch high fence whitetail. I love it. So I have nothing against that. We just chose sure. not to do the high fence side um, so we could focus just on free-range mule deer. Um, but a lot of people that call me have been looking at, different pictures on social media wherever of different accounts or outfits yeah you know 240 250 260 deer that usually have come from from a high fence somewhere um and they think it's just that's mexico that's free range i've had a few guys booked by hunt brokers that came down and they had just been looking at a bunch of pictures on social media and thought you know they'd seen all of our deer that would kill which are great deer too but but they're like those are great deer and and you know, I'm hoping I can get one like this. And then they show me a deer that's, you know, 260 from a high fence somewhere, or 250 from a high fence somewhere. And I'm like, you know, and I usually know I've seen them already, you know. So it, right. it's just just whoever they're going with, whether it's us or another outfitter, just, just make sure you do your research with the outfitter and know where their deer are coming from, whether they do strictly free range or if they do a little bit of both, you know, so, so that your expectations are, are right coming down. Right of what you're hunting you know i feel like really any outfitter down there you know should be a a 180 plus hunt at least you know free range for what what guys are paying yeah i I think with that expectation people go down there especially if they choose you they're gonna have a great time yeah and they're gonna have some great guides they're gonna eat some good food and they're gonna likely have a good hunt and 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 hopefully put a big one on the ground because that's what you know we talk about the experience the end goal is surely to kill a giant mule deer that's everyone's end goal. Everyone at camp is, is working for that. Yep. And what I was really impressed with was your your drivers and your assistant guides. They're uh-huh. typically with like your American guide right. helping guys out, how good they are and how vested they are in trying to help the hunter kill. So, for example, and I, and I bring that up. I can't. What are the two dudes that were with me? Do you remember their names? Yeah, you had you had Balata. Yeah, Balata. I think Irving was the other one. Yeah, are they still? Do they still do stuff with you? Yep. Yeah, they're do, still doing some stuff with okay, us. Okay, yep. so two great guys, yep. super fun guys, uh-huh. younger. Yep. And one of them, Balata, I believe, was kind of a mechanic, and and Irving was more the eyes had a little yeah. more experiences on the guide side. Is that correct? Yeah. Well, they they both had phenomenal eyes, and that's what we try and usually get are our assistant guides that are have phenomenal eyesight um, because they pick up those deer better than any of us. Right. I mean, the the Mexicans in general have better 
better eyes and, and pick up the deer better than they live than in that country the right? american guys yep so yeah, they're so they're kind of used to it but custom to it and just when i killed that big one we had everyone's eyes going to work eight eyeballs yep four people because after i hit that buck that giant a little back mm-hmm. he only went 10 yards but it was a jungle yeah, couldn't see him. Uh-uh. So we had one run over here. We had run run to this point. I stayed put, and we all just scan, scan, scan. Well, before long, I bet in an hour, Irving called us on the radio. He's like, hey, I got him. He's laying down. I'm like, oh, my gosh. I can't tell you how nice that was having guides that he was – I mean, I think he was so sunburned, and his eye hurt so bad from trying to keep <laughs> his keep his his, yeah. his eyeballs on that buck that I felt so bad for him. But he was not going to leave that spotter, dude. No. That is impressive, and that's why you have these guys. Yeah. Because that buck was a team effort, man. Yeah, and all, all of our deer are. You know, I mean, we, we try and jump everybody in there that we can to help get these big deer killed. Sometimes it takes that. Sometimes we have a guide close by with this hunter. A lot of times our hunters are gracious enough to be like, yeah, let's go help that client right. get the deer killed, and we'll have somebody else come and help as well. Right. Uh, when you got something big spotted or, or bedded and you're trying to get the hunter in on them. But, uh, all of our guys work so hard to make sure you have a good experience from the moment you get up in the morning, they're filling your coolers, they're making sure you got your lunches to go, that you've had breakfast, and then they're waiting on you hand and foot, anything they can. And then it's awesome. when you're going up on a hill glassing, everybody's got optics there. Everybody's got their eyes working, you know, trying to find the best deer they can. So that's the great thing. Nobody sits around and and is lazy. I mean, everybody's just working hard the whole time. Right. And then when it comes together and you share that success with four people that, like you touched on earlier in the podcast, that you create these lifelong bonds with, yeah. it's just a super, super special experience. And me and and I, me and me uh, Irving, was it Irving or Balata? What was the shorter one? Balata. Balata. <laughs> so me and Balata just walk up on that 200 typical we're just like oh my gosh and he's just like he's just like muy grande man yeah and yep. you're just like oh my gosh my biggest deer ever i mean i have a giant smile on my face even talking about it, how cool that was to share that with him walking up on that thing yeah it's it's so cool too how excited they get even though you know the majority of them aren't really hunters other than guides like they don't hunt much for themselves right. at all they just love it they love it as much as we do they love being out there and spending time and on days off they're usually out climbing hills and glassing and trying to find more deer you yeah. know they're not just sitting around camp so yeah they're what, always what, working hard. some studs man i just i still still hear his voice like that's that's, that's how, awesome yeah that's that impression that it has on yeah. me walking up in that deer with him yeah. so well hey listen man i i appreciate you donating your time absolutely Drove through ogden today so i was like hey stop by let's record a podcast on old mexico yeah he's Happy headed to up be to here go meet with Brian and Mike real quick and talk guns. But yeah, if, if you want to learn more about Mexico and old Mexico hunt company, either DM me or I'll, I'll send you right over to Spencer or hit Spencer up on Instagram. What's your Instagram handle? It's Spencer brought is, well, that's my personal. And then, then it's old Mexico hunt co yeah. is, is the one for all of our hunting stuff in Mexico. So yeah. So check him out. Great guy. Very honest. He's a family man. I'd, lo- I'd love to talk to anybody and answer any questions about Mexico and, and put any fears you have at, at rest, you know, or just, just talk how we hunt the deer down there. Whatever questions you got, I'm always, always ready and excited to talk to guys about it. Absolutely. And if you haven't, check out my hunt on YouTube. That's awesome. Um, it's Old Mexico, bonus episode of our Mule Deer Country series. It's, it's a phenomenal film, especially for a self-film job i apologize for that but it turned out really really awesome so 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 thanks spencer it was great to have you yeah be sure to subscribe rate and review this podcast we hope you enjoyed it we hope you learned a little bit more about old mexico and what it's like hunting giant sonoran muleys uh we'll catch you on the next episode